Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome again to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I'm in Tyler Fornis, but Fred, I have a really big question for you. How do you feel about our show streaming exclusively to Honor Club starting in January of 2023? Well, you know, our uh, I really value our partnership with uh, Warner Media, and I appreciate all they've done for uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. Uh, and so I just want to respect them and uh, not go against them with another media company. I'll take yeah. all questions about uh, about what it feels like for someone to win a championship belt now. You know, let, let's start by talking about this because we have a lot of news to get to. And then we are, as we talked about, going to um, break down um, ROH's final battle. And we'll do some quick thoughts on Dynamite and Rampage as well because there weren't a ton of talking points. But the big ones from those shows really tie into the news portion of the show, which is going to take up a lot of our time. Tony Khan is unable to secure a TV deal um, for Ring of Honor, um, but unfortunately due to the lack of professionalism in the scrum afterwards, we don't know why. We don't know who we negotiated with. We don't know um, what kind of offers there were, if there were any, if he's even able to negotiate outside of Warner Brothers Discovery because there's a chance that within the contract, there lies specific language that forbids him to have a competitor with another broadcasting partner. Um, Fred, I just want to give um, our friends at the flagship uh, their Patreon. They did a live instant reaction, and Joe Lanz absolutely buried the living hell out of the, the wrestling media for not asking any questions, even ones that Tony Khan blatantly set up because he knew that questions were coming. Like, we know it's bad. We know that the media just absolutely blew this. And most of the people in that room don't have any kind of professional journalism experience. So obviously they're not going to answer those questions, whether they should be credentialed is a whole different topic, but they were. And that is that my question for you, Fred, isn't about necessarily the scrum it or the missing pieces of information that we have regarding it going to honor club instead of getting a television deal of any form or even going to YouTube. My question for you is how does this impact um, Ring of Honor in a positive or negative light? And is there a path to getting on TV? I mean, there's always a path, I suppose. Uh, the question is, are they going to get enough money to make it worth their while? Frankly, I'm not very uh, optimistic about their you know, ability to get paid, um, you know, especially just what they're doing right now. Because, uh, you know, the Honor Club is just 10 bucks a month for the weekly TV. And then you don't even get the pay-per-views until 90 days later. Uh, 
So it's actually a worse deal than the old honor club under the previous ownership. Um, but I think that uh, it's not, it's a bad sign. It's, it's uh, definitely not a good sign that uh, they are just putting this on uh, honor club without even trying to, or without any sign of it going quickly to a TV station of some sort. Uh, what I would assume they would try to do is a package deal with uh, the AEW properties when their TV deals are up. Uh, is that at the end of 2023? I'm trying to recall right now. I'm not sure. Um, so their initial deal was October of 2019 for three years. And then about six months later, actually just after the pandemic started, they got an extension. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that was I don't know how long the extension was for. I think it was only for that six months where they basically rewrote the TV deal. Yeah. Um, so I believe we're talking March or April of 2023 as the end. Okay. Uh, let's see. There's a, a just uh, rapid Google has a, it's a May 2021 uh, article from Wrestling Inc. that says citing Meltzer that the deal still expires in 2023. I don't know offhand if we have more pressing information or more up-to-date information, but that seems to be pretty consistent. So uh, assuming it is the end of 2023, um, you know, that's not too terribly long uh, with regards to, you know, how long they have uh, just going on our club, if they're able to then get another deal. Uh, but this is very much a future play uh, in general. The Ring of Honor deal is um, like the purchase of Ring of Honor, to be clear, in terms of what the deal is that I'm speaking of there. Um, uh, but no, this isn't good news. Uh, it's not like a disaster, but they're probably going to lose some money on Ring of Honor for a while because um, it's a crowded marketplace right now for your just streaming dollars in general, but specifically wrestling dollars with... Uh, I mean, just think of all the services that are out there, Impact Plus, um, you know, uh, of course, Peacock with the network on it now, um, New Japan World, Stardom, um, all the all the companies that are online now, because that's such a commonplace thing now. Um, and uh, to ask people to spend that $10 a month and then also pay 30 or 40 bucks a month, you know, for pay-per-views, for Ring of Honor, and then on top of that, all the AEW stuff. I mean, that's, I feel like that's a big ask in the modern marketplace. I think what, here's how I would approach it. If I'm going to put it on Honor Club, I think what I would do is I would load up the first TV taping, give, put a really good product out, have people go to Honor Club to watch it, but have the first four episodes be, be not paywalled, be unlocked, let everybody view it. So then you can, you at least are going to say, Hey, I understand Honor Club is gonna is X Y and Z. It may not be the most, um, may not be the most appetizing considering what what we're asking. We're asking you to pay for weekly television along with a back catalog, and not everybody's gonna want the back catalog because a lot of people coming into ROH, you have people like us who have nostalgia for the product. You also have a lot of people who are AEW fans who just want to see more AEW wrestlers in it, like as like an appendix or an, like an attachment to what AEW is like, this is essentially an AEW offshoot at this point that Tony Khan is trying to revitalize into hopefully rebuilding the great image that ring of honor once had. 
Well, those fans aren't going to care about the back catalog except, oh, I love Samoa Joe. Here's a cool Samoa Joe match from like 2005. Like that, that you might be able to get some draw with the back catalog. But outside of people like us, the back catalog is not going to have a ton of value. So then essentially you're asking them to pay $10 a month for weekly television. We know how that worked with AEW. We just saw how it worked in a lesser uh, dollar amount. For the NWA, it is not going well for them either. So I guess if you want them to just go to Honor Club and you offer for free and hopes hopes to entice them to attach on, I can see that potentially being a strategy, but feels like you should just put these on YouTube, grow an audience, cultivate it, and then try to score a TV deal. But just straight Honor Club, it feels like a really it, it doesn't it feels like a miss. Not because they didn't land a TV deal, because this is how they resolved not landing a TV deal. Yeah, and I mean, there's so many things to consider here, because, uh, I mean, putting it on our, on Honor Club is the choice of uh, money over exposure, and there's al- always the argument that exposure would lead to more money down the road. Um, and if they are really going to do a hard divide between the AEW and Ring of Honor rosters, uh, there's a lot of people on the Ring of Honor roster that would really benefit from exposure like uh just to point to one willow nightingale i think the last thing you want to do right now is to uh sequester her off from the world for a whole year if uh not longer and uh that you know that can very much uh be a detriment to her career and to uh ring of honor as well because i do think she could be a draw for him like that's how high i am on her just in terms of her charisma um i think that um you know, uh, the, the probably the reason they aren't putting it on YouTube is because YouTube does not make them that much money, I would have to think. Um, uh, I, you know, if it was up to me, I probably would have replaced AEW Dark Elevation with uh, the Ring of Honor TV show. But if you're really going to push the, uh, the Honor Club thing, like, you're just going to be drawing 100% off of uh, the weekly TV. Uh, well, okay, not 100%. But the vast, you know, every time there's been a report on like what is the most watched thing on the WWE network or anything else, uh, it's always the recent stuff. The, you know, going back to the old stuff is not a major moving point for viewership. Um, now, you can, like you said with the Samoa Joe example, you could definitely try to make that, you know, meaningful. Like, hey, you came here to watch Claudio. Uh, you know, when a TV match, click here to watch five very good Claudio matches from back in the day, that kind of stuff. But, you know, no one's really hit upon the formula on which to make that work. Now, I will say uh, WWE in general, I don't think it's really pushed it hard uh, when they had their network. Um, and I think that uh, other streaming services don't push it that hard. So, okay, let's, if you want to come up with like a, if you could try, there's no guarantee it'll work, but you could try and just push it real hard, like have Ian Riccoboni uh, in a studio for an hour or two a week, just hosting a live episode or a live go through the archives and feature maybe one event or um, focus on three or four matches of one guy. And you could try doing that. But again, you know, while I think I would enjoy that, I don't think that it would drawing too many people as a uh, as a breaking point of should I pay money for this service. And I, I think one thing like you kind of mentioned, hey, 
you can do this, you can do that, like the match gimmick. Um, I know on the Voice of Wrestling Patreon, um, at one, five, and ten dollar tiers, by the way, they have the match of the week, and the match of the week is always it always makes sense in the concept of wrestling. There's always something going on and that's what Joe draws from when he ends up picking the match. And I think stuff like that are going to be a great way to retain people with honor club, but I don't necessarily think that it's going to be a draw for people to want to join honor club. Like, I don't think I'm so not, either. Yeah. And I think to me, that's, that's the biggest issue. Um, and there was talk in our office slack about this, um, how is, and I'm trying to remember the exact point um, about it, what they were saying. I, I don't remember. If I remember, I'll bring it up. But it just feels like a really big disappointment that it's just straight a straight honor club move. Um, but one thing that I found interesting is the, the pay-per-views are going to be changing for honor club subscribers. You're not going to be – because I believe the deal was if you were an honor club subscriber, you got a 50% off discount for the pay-per-views. Does, I think they were the actually belt? I think they were actually included for free uh, if you're a subscriber if I'm not mistaken I could be wrong on that but it was one of the at other. one point they were 50 percent off I remember that being a thing yeah. I I think towards the end it was you get the pay-per-views for free and also you uh get a percentage discount on our merchandise shop now granted most most ring of honor merchandise look like crap and I never bought any, but um, I didn't say that out loud. Uh, yeah. So like, I don't know. I, it feels like a worse deal, which is not great. Um, but you know, the number of people that probably are aware of it being worse is relatively low. So I don't think they're really doing any damage, but it's not good. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not good. And it's, it's honestly a really disappointing blow for Ring of Honor. And, oh, I remember I remember the take. I had it, and I also saw it in the office slack. So I'm going to take partial credit for it because I know I'm not the only one, and there are a lot of smart people in there that have, have the same take. I hypothesized when, uh, that if Ring of Honor doesn't get a television deal, it's not going to be based on quality. It's going to be based on the fact that Ring of Honor literally announced that they were going on a hiatus and essentially going out of business less than a like just about a year ago and why would a television company see that hey you went bankrupt so i think we can make a lot of money like just that general construct i think is one of the reasons why and we don't know because nobody asked the damn question but yeah. i think it's why this product like if tony khan decided to name it something completely different if he wasn't a nostalgic wrestling nerd who believes in restoring wrestling history and treasuring it and honoring it. And I know that's kind of punny, but it's not meant to be. Then I think Ring of Honor probably would have had a better chance to get a television deal because the name Ring of Honor, outside of the three shows that Tony Khan has done, is most notable in the media landscape for failure rather than being any form of success. Do you agree with that? Well, um, I think, I don't know, I, I'm kind of mixed on it because on the one hand, I don't know how much value the Ring of Honor name does present uh, to the modern market. Now, you can argue that there's been a year of really great pay-per-views. Um, I think every Ring of Honor pay-per-view has been very entertaining um, and that 
the buy rates have been solid on them. We'll, I think we're still waiting on some kind of numbers from uh, Final Battle, so we'll see on that one. But um, I think they've all been pretty respectable, considering you know that it's Ring of Honor branded and all this stuff. Um, but at the same time, like I know Dave Meltzer always expresses shock that he's using the Ring of Honor name rather than the AEW name because the AEW name will you know, provide more buys. But I think that what that kind of misses is that these shows are not Ring of Honor shows. They're kind of like AEW's NXT uh, is about the closest comparison I can make. It's something of a developmental territory with a couple of decent level stars on top. And um, I think that if you were to present like Final Battle as a AEW pay-per-view, um, but then like most of the top AEW stars aren't on it, I think that would upset the, you know, the audience that buy it. So I think it's kind of somewhere in the middle. Should Ring of Honor just be renamed to insert generic created name from TEW here, uh, United States Championship Wrestling or something, um, I, you know, I guess you could make that argument. I don't think it really makes much of a difference either way because, you know, even if you do associate the name Ring of Honor with uh, the failures under Sinclair, what doesn't change is that I think that no matter what name you put on it, these Briscoe's FTR matches will draw. And I think they have, and I think they will to some extent, at least on Final Battle. I think there was kind of a unfortunate situation with being on at like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I think that'll hurt buys a little bit, but yeah, that's kind of my take on it. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I found it interesting that the best shows uh, that uh, Ring of Honor did as far as drawing power only reached about 20% of like, I think what the baseline for AEW pay-per-views is as far as buy rate. Cause you're talking about 150,000 viewers, uh, buyers. That's about the median at this point for an AEW show. That's kind of like that threshold at this point. Like the yeah. first one's got about 100,000. I think their worst was 90. And their best was obviously all out 2021, which was an all-time show. Yeah. And that did, I think, about 210. And it was just absurdly high because of a variety of factors. One of them being CM Punk's first match in damn near a decade like closer yeah eight years yeah. I think. and the rest of the show was loaded you had the match of the year with the young bucks and lucha brothers in the cage that there were extenuating circumstances that but one hundred and fifty thousand. that that's your baseline ring of honor is doing thirty thousand as essentially an offshoot of AEW without those top stars now yeah. chris jericho obviously headlined this show but he was never a roh like long time uh competitor it's like Oh, it feels like somebody coming into WWE at the Royal Rumble and then wrestling for a couple months, doing WrestleMania and then leaving. That's kind of how I felt this Chris Jericho run was, except I actually think he tried to build the the prestige of Ring of Honor by holding the title because Chris Jericho means something in professional wrestling. He means something with television and ratings. He just does. So that mm-hmm. whole arc makes sense. But outside of that, you're building around the Briscoes, Dalton Castle and the boys. Now it feels like Top Flight is going to be a huge act on Ring of Honor, which I think is a tremendous idea. You have Athena, who's now holding your women's title. Samoa Joe, your legacy mainstay, who still delivers on the mic and in the ring. 
you're building around outside of AEW talent. And because you're building around that outside talent, like it's it's really you you can't consider it a a true like AEW branded program. And I think no. you kind of alluded to that. It's it's its bought- own entity, and it's gonna be really fascinating to see how this ends up working out because Tony Khan's booking is objectively very, very good. But at the same time, it's how is it gonna work when Tony Khan does not have his top stars because we know how rampage has been rampage as we talked about last week is is booked horribly and they it feels like there might have been a corner turned with the moxley to catch the match which i saw some people throwing five stars at do not blame them but we need we're gonna need more data before we give them any kind of credit outside of just shoehorning in a match because you needed to, to pop a rating i i want to see that they're taking care of it and I worry that because Tony Khan does not have the kind of star power that he has with AEW, that you're going to see the same thing happen with Ring of Honor. And it's going to be something that we're going to monitor very closely. Yeah. Uh, and, and one thing I think that definitely, um, you know, is to watch with the Rampage space is that I think he's done this before, this exact, uh, uh, we got to, we'll put all hands on deck for Rampage. It's going to really matter now. And then like three weeks later, it's back to rampage. Um, uh, we'll see if that happens again. I'm hopeful that he'll be very mindful of that going forward. But you know, and I I don't even know what the expectations are for Ring of Honor to be considered a success by Tony Khan uh, at, right now. Because is it a matter of like, are they hoping to just break even for this year, which could be difficult alone, let alone make a profit? Or are they just hoping to? get some footage together so that they can sell it to uh, somebody with or with as or not as part of AEW's video package, video library. I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting situation. Um, and I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on it and see what happens with it. He did tease or outright say really no teasing uh, that new Japan would be part of the uh, ring of honor moving forward as the hungry cat makes a run in. Um, so we'll see what that means. And if it's like, we're going to be sitting over Naito every once in a while or something, or if we're going to, if it instead means, Hey, we're sitting over, um, Danny Limelight, you know, or whatever young boy is on excursion right now. Cause I think one would make a difference and one would not. No, I agree completely. And I'm very intrigued to see, especially with the U S presence, of New Japan Strong, how there ends up being some sort of symbiotic relationship between the two. Do they have conversations about potentially merging the two programs? I think that is that is a long way away. But I think the idea of at least having a home base for Ring of Honor, and albeit it's across the country from where Tony Khan is usually located down in Jacksonville, Florida, I think it could be a really interesting move. You could You would obviously be building up the future for both new Japan and AEW with the kind of talent that you're going to be utilizing. And you mentioned the likes of Danny Limelight. You have Fred Rosser, who's been doing a tremendous job as the strong open weight champion. You have all the, all their young boys. You have the young talent that Tony Khan has that he's going to prioritize on ring of honor. I think that partnership is going to be very key because at one point the ring of honor and new Japan partnership was all but dead. And the dynamics is going to be 
really, really interesting because Tony Khan has the high ground with AEW. But you could also argue he has the low ground with Ring of Honor. So how they interact, the politics with everything and how everything's going to tie in together, Fred, I think is going to be the most fascinating thing to keep an eye on for wrestling in 2023. Yeah, I agree. That'll be a very interesting relationship to follow. Now, speaking of uh, relationships to follow and being based in Ring of Honor, or I'm sorry, being based in New Japan and, uh, you know, changing companies, this is a flawless transition. Let's talk about Sasha Banks. So, oh, uh, boy, Sasha Banks. Yeah, we're def- I'm definitely working the algorithm here, baby. Uh, okay, so Sasha Banks uh, is reportedly, and this was broken by Mike Johnson uh, with uh, Dave Meltzer confirming that she is going to be at the Tokyo Dome, Wrestle Kingdom, on January 4th. Uh, and uh, the anticipation is that she will be signing to work some dates for the New Japan slash Stardom Alliance, um, which raises a whole bunch of questions, uh, which I want to go through right now. Because, first of all, obviously, her being able to do stuff for Stardom or AW would, one, be awesome, and two, be great for these companies. Um, AW could really use a shot in the arm because in my mind, Sasha Banks is the biggest uh, star in American North American uh, women's wrestling right now by a decent margin. Um, and I also think she's a top level competitor. She's a, just a great performer. She's good on the microphone. She's great in the ring. Um, anyone that can get her is getting a get. This would be fantastic for stardom because it would be a great way for them to break into the North American market. I think that it could even blow the doors off what Chris Jericho going over to do the matches uh, for them back in, I think, 2019 did for the New Japan subscription service. I think stardom world could pick up even a greater percentage if it's advertised well and everything. However, I do want to point out uh, that. I'm kind of dubious if this will happen because WWE has a history and has the uh, probably has with her the contractual ability to freeze and extend her contract for failure to perform. And I feel like that's kind of not really, really being talked about much in this space because, you know, everyone's just excited about the possibility of Sasha Banks coming back to wrestling. But WWE has done this multiple times over. They've done it with Daniel Bryan when he was out with his injuries. They did it with Ray Mysterio when he had his injuries. The list of people they've done it with is uh, long. And also WWE has a long history of trying to keep top stars from moving to competitors whenever they can do that. You know, and logically that makes sense just from a business move, obviously. That's not like a moral judgment. Uh, it's just what wrestling is and especially how WWE approaches that. So... I know, assuming that she is actually done with her contract with WWE by the year's end, which is what the current reports are, um, it'll be very interesting to watch what she does because she was reportedly asking WWE for, this is for Meltzer, Dave Meltzer, more money than WWE has really ever given a woman star before. Um, and kind of, he referred to it as kind of breaking their uh, their contract structure, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. At the same time, he pointed out that not only did he think that she was worth it, but also that like WWE, if you look at the revenues, underpays everyone under contract, even the top guys. 
which is a very fair point because by percentage of revenue, pro wrestling is way behind what the NBA, MLB, NFL, etc., NHL, uh, what their structures are. So another thing to note with this is that New Japan does not have WWE money. New Japan uh, has been struggling to basically break even the past few years with the pandemic Mm -hmm. uh, because of their limited attendance and everything. And uh, so the question is, is this just basically Sasha coming in for, uh, you know, a checklist, you know, bucket list kind of I want to wrestle in stardom at some point situation? Or do you think she's actually going to be with stardom long term? And if so, do you think she's going to be doing this as part of a split deal between stardom and AEW? It's a great question. Um, I th- let's break it down a little bit here. One, let's. I want to start with the WWE contract situation that you mentioned. Um, it was widely reported, and I believe that uh, um, Brian Danielson actually said it himself that WWE basically held him hostage when he first signed that extension, basically saying, "Hey, you missed all this time. You can't go sign with anybody else. You got to sign with us." My guess is when he signed that contract extension, that basically nullified any leverage they had over him for missing all that injury time. So there is precedent, one, that this has happened before with wrestlers, and two, that they've held them over a barrel and made sure that they didn't negatively impact their business at all. Um, I also think that without knowing them personally and just kind of by going off things, I don't think Triple H is going to be as vindictive as Vince McMahon in these situations. I think I, – I, I'm not saying that he's just going to let uh, Sasha Banks waltz into AEW, but I also think he's going to be – especially because, to our knowledge, he doesn't have any part of this issue. I think it's – he is not going to be a, like, oh, you screwed me over. No, I'm not letting you do anything. I, he, I just don't think he's going to have that in him in this situation. I also know that Sasha Banks is a huge nerd. She loves wrestling. She has been over to stardom multiple times. And you mean that in a very positive way, correct? Oh, I am. This is only a term of endearment in this situation. She is a wrestling nerd. She is one of us. She loves the Japanese style. She loves wrestling. She's already trained at stardom multiple times. She's got friends over there. Kyrie's back over there now. And we know Kyrie is going to be defending the IWGP Women's Championship at Wrestle Kingdom. So the fact that she's going to, quote-unquote, be there, it's easy to put two and two together that she is going to be the one facing Kyrie for the title. And you can understand why. Big draw. They have great chemistry together. So you know they're going to be able to put on a really good match. And considering that this is going, I believe... Now, it, when the card gets fully released after this le- this uh, World Tag League tour, I could be completely wrong. But I believe this will be the, the first match on the main card because I believe the other ones were darker pre-show matches. This will be the first women's match on a Wrestle Kingdom card, the main card. Yes, and I that think, is my understanding I think, as well. And I think they want it to make it a big deal. Well, what bigger deal than having Sasha Banks come and take on your champion. And I think that could lead to a long-term thing with Starham because I, I would guess Bushiroad understands how popular she is with women's wrestling in the States, and they want to make headway in the States. 
Like this is the perfect way to do it. What could this mean for New Japan and AEW? We really don't know. But I'll hypothesize this. If she can cut a John Moxley contract where she can do pretty much whatever she wants in Japan, I I could easily see a path where she ends up signing and that um January 11th match in Los Angeles, she is the mystery partner for one Soraya. That we may be getting a little ahead of ourselves. Putting, That's a possibility. You know, putting the forest before the trees, but everything lines up. Everything makes logical sense for somebody who has shown that she loves wrestling. She wants to wrestle. She's okay losing as long as it makes sense and treat titles with reverence. What do these companies do? They love wrestling. Yep. They treat their titles with reverence. Yep. They don't they don't fuck around and treat their employees like shit. Now, do they make the smartest booking decisions? We've criticized booking from all of these guys. Like nobody's perfect. Yeah. That's like, always you come uh... in here. That everything's setting up perfectly for a Sasha Banks return to wrestling. Now, I one thing I want to point out and they talked about this in one of the pre-match videos uh, on final battle. Athena mentioned that hey, WWE doesn't do wrestling. They do entertainment. I tried it. It's not my thing. She wanted to come back and wrestle, and that's what she's doing. And I could see Sasha Banks being the exact same way. Even though she's done stuff like The Mandalorian, she's she's doing signings and stuff, which, good for her. She's making like 300 bucks for a, a picture and an autograph. Like Get the cash. Hell in. yeah. That, that's tremendous value. Stay over but, on the other side of the... The picture. I'm sorry. I will always love the picture <laughs> the, of her, like making the guy stand like five feet from her. Which oh yeah, because you see the creepy I get ones. It. Are... I get it. Yeah, it makes hundred percent sense. Yeah, you see the creepy ones, and it's just like, yeah, stay away from me. Like, don't don't blame her one bit. But as far as a being a professional wrestler, everything that I know, without actually speaking directly to. Sasha Banks, which unfortunately I've never had to do, but I bet she's awesome. Everything we know, I can easily hypothesize that she comes, wrestles at Wrestle Kingdom against Kyrie, and then returns as the tag team partner Soraya. Do we know anything? No, but it all lays out perfectly, and that could be massive for the wrestling business. She could be a CM Punk level draw. Will I, she be? I don't know, but the following she she was one of like two ratings movers with WWE. She, she's, she's a genuine star, 100% a, a top star. A genuine star, a genuine draw, and she should be the one. And uh, we're going to fantasy book here for a second. You got to get the title off Jade Cargill. You have Sasha Banks beat her at Revolution. Nobody's going to think less of Jade Cargill if Sasha Banks beat Oh, yeah. yeah. You have two megastars in the ring. That could go on second to last. It could be a five-minute match. Nobody would care. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of star power you would have in the ring. And we, when we know more, we will deliver more. And when, when it happens, which I believe it will, we're going to have a fun time on this space talking about it because it's going to be a massive shift in both wrestling and more specifically women's wrestling in the United States of America. I think it would be great for women's wrestling in the U.S. Uh, I think that uh, if it happens, it will be uh, very good for AW and stardom. I just have to say that I'm kind of dubious if it will happen because I think that, if nothing else, WWE is uh, fond of the defensive play. And I think that if they can legally um, 
extend her contract and ruin these plans, they will. And I don't think that changes because Triple H is on top. I think that's just what WWE sees as good business sense. I can logically defend it. It makes sense. If like your competition is getting ready to take away one of your top stars, but you can block that for you know months, I I would be very tempted to do that too. It might make that person, the wrestler in question, very angry at you. But if you've already kind of written off that relationship in the short term, then what does that mean? You know, just I could see them doing it. Uh, it's not what I want to see happen, but it could happen. It absolutely could. And I'm very excited to see how it happens. Um, but we we don't know much more than speculation at this point. The only thing we can confirm is that she'll be at Tokyo Dome on one yes. four. And I'm I'm fascinated to see it. Wrestling's fun, baby. This is why multiple companies is good. Free agency is awesome. Speaking of free agency, um, William Regal um, did ask um, for Tony Khan to not pick up his option. um, And he is going back to WWE. And it was reported earlier today that he will be going back in a vice president role. But he cannot appear on television until after the year 2023. Um, And all this was done because Regal wanted to go back and coach his son in NXT. I don't think anybody can blame a father for wanting to be with his child. Um, and kudos to all involved for doing so admirably and without issue. Based on everything we know, everything was incredibly professional. And that's how you make an exit. Um, but I think the most important thing we need to talk about with this, Fred, and I'm going to let you talk about it first because I kind of liked it, even though I also understand that it sucks. Um, they did that extra segment where they had uh, Regal film with Shivani if – MJF turned on him and he said he he gave the knucks to MJF to teach one last lesson to the Blackpool Combat Club and that was to always keep eyes in the back of your head watch your back and logistically I think it makes sense I think based on the context of the story with Regal and especially with Danielson and Moxley being like a father figure to these to these men okay Makes sense. Teach him a story. It also kind of stunk. Like, I, I I think we're on different sides here. I want to give you the opportunity to, to say your piece. And then I think I might defend this. I don't know yet. Uh, look, I won't say it was like a disaster or anything, but I thought this was very awkward. <laughs> um, what it reminded me of was like an early 90s TV show, like a murder she wrote built around people coming in to watch a video will. This felt like we were watching William Regal's last will and testament for his AW run uh, that he put together just in case he was murdered uh, by MJF. And then uh, it was a, a furious attempt at a retcon. Um I don't think it makes any sense whatsoever. I thought it was extremely funny when uh, the camera cut back to John Moxley in the ring and he had a look on his face like, what the hell was that? And then kind of just no-sold the whole video and just cut a generic John Moxley promo. Um, I thought that was all very funny. I don't think this was like an all-time bad segment that does damage to a company, but I don't think it made any sense whatsoever. Uh, but I will say I thought it was classy to give uh, Regal kind of a formal sending off on TV. And uh, 
you know, in that regard, it was nice, but I don't, I didn't like it, uh, how it was done. I thought that it just was very, uh, had a very tenuous connection to, uh, what these characters would have done, but I'm willing to let it slide because I know that really the reason it happened is because they wanted to do kind of a classy send off for William Regal. William Regal, God, I can't talk. Uh, but that's my take on it. I don't have anything more, you know, like I'm not going to sit, sit here for 10 minutes and rant about how every bit of it didn't make any sense or whatever. Like it's just kind of a goofy way to work backwards and uh, try to make something make sense that changed half, you know, that had situations around it change. Yeah. I, I don't think they needed to do it, but I, I liked how they went about doing it. At least tying connected tissue, having it make sense Basically, MJF used Regal, which, I mean, it's MJF. He uses everybody to get whatever the hell he wants, and now he has the title. Um, I think I think it's objectively fine, and I also have no problem with anybody burying it. But it ties up Regal. He's gone. It gives the group, like, hey, we're going to be done with the JAS. We're going to do our own thing. And obviously, um, John Moxley has Hangman Page in his sights. Claudio's the new Ring of Honor World Champion, and this, like, this all made sense while it being completely unnecessary, and you don't have to do it. But I don't have an issue with it. Like, they didn't screw anything up. They didn't make anybody look bad. They just made Regal look like a dunce, um, and then he had to tie it into, "Hey, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson because I was an idiot." Like, that's fine. If anything, you're burying Regal on the way out and letting him do so in a professional manner, which that's kind of the point. Like in the territory days, when you leave a territory, you lie on your back, you take the one, two, three, and you're gone. You put somebody else over and it's almost like Regal did that. So I don't really have an issue. I do think it kind of undercuts the emotional uh, value of last week's well, the previous week's angle where he got laid out by MJF. I thought that was fantastic. Uh, That part of it was. And um, I like that a lot. I thought it was done tremendously. I thought that Regal did a fantastic job selling it. I thought Danielson running out with one boot on was like a great selling point of it. Um, And I feel like, uh, you know, this was basically uh, Poochie died on his way back to his home planet kind of stuff. Um, And it's kind of a shame that's a send off formally rather than the, the, you know, the very good wrestling angle that preceded it. But I also just like with regards to things I'm going to get mad about. This isn't that high on the list. It's just kind of like I'm shrugging at it. You know, it's not not great, but whatever. It's it's objectively fine. That's what it is. Um, Tony Khan said that uh, he would be going all hands on deck for Rampage moving forward. Um, yeah, we kind of touched on this already. Um, he, yeah, he, he said that after he's all done out. this before. Yeah. And uh, and then we got like, you know, some uh, well, choose your favorite kind of crappy rampage lineup. There's no shortage of them over the past couple months. It's a B show, uh, and it's going to take a lot of work to make it not a B show. Uh, if they want to do that, they can, but it's going to take them making the appropriate changes. Like they should announce that, uh, you know, Bucks uh, Death Triangle number six has been moved to Friday night. Uh, if they want to make a difference, or hell, even seven, if you really want to make a difference, assuming they go seven, which they will, um, you could have uh, just you know 
MJF defend the title against someone that's not insert random mid Carter or lower here. Uh, you know, and I objectively, if I'm looking at the the rampage lineup from last Friday, I mean Moxley Takeshita is a fantastic match. But beyond that, like it was yeah, everything else was just rampage, baby. Um that's it, you know, like the bunny versus Sheeta is like a solid solid match that would be at home on either show. Uh, but I don't think it really means anything. You had a big bill and uh, Lee squash, and then you had Orange Cassidy against Trent Seven, which again, that's a solid match that would be at home on Dynamite or Rampage. But like Trent Seven, I don't think with no build, uh, is really going to be popping those numbers as a surprise opponent. Um, although I like the match, I'm not dissing Trent Seven, it's just Trent Seven isn't a needle mover. Like, if you got Tyler Bate with this fan base, that's probably a needle mover. That would do something. I mean, you could toss out 100 names. Like, if it was Chris Hero instead, I think that actually might have done more than Trent Seven. Um, But it was Trent Seven. It was a solid match. We'll see what this week's Rampage is, because I don't think anything's been announced yet. But, I mean, if if they keep doing bangers on Rampage, then that'll change the perception of the show but they're gonna have to keep doing it it's not just a one-week thing yeah and they need they need to prove it um the um john moxley match uh with Takeshita was tremendous oh it was Um, great i went four and three quarter on it uh i thought it was just a ton of fun yeah um but they need more of that and we'll see if he's actually able to deliver or if this is just another empty promise um let's continue moving on because there's a lot more to come with um, speaking of that match with Takeshita, um, Renee Paquette and John Moxley were ill this week. Renee missed TV, but Moxley had his flu game and had that match with Takeshita under the weather. I don't think Moxley's ever getting his vacation, but let John is. Moxley go fishing, please. Yes, let let Moxley go fishing. You know that could play really well into the story with Hangman Page that Moxley's ducking him because he's going fishing, um, and it would be especially funny if they tie in the fact that they. Um, Braun Breaker used fishing oh, yeah. as the as the last buildup segment for that match. Him and um, Apollo Cruz. Apollo Cruz caught a fish, but Braun did it. Um, yeah, just uh, just tremendous stuff. Um, Moxley is the MVP this year, and I don't really think yeah. there's anybody that can compare. Um, but we'll we will talk more about the Wrestling Observer Award, um, Hall of Fame in a little bit, and probably touch on the awards as well. Um, let's talk about Miro for a second, though, Fred. Fightful reported that Creative had no ideas for him. Meltzer reported, uh, as a counter, that they did have ideas. Miro turned them down last pay-per-view cycle, and he drew a parallel between him and Ethan Page because I. Th- it sounds like the idea was for Page to get a push, but then to eventually lose, and he did so to Ricky Starks. And my guess is, based on that parallel, that that was the plans for Miro. Um, hopefully they can get him back in the building because Miro wrestling for AEW is objectively great. He kicks ass, but I, I just wish that the mid card guys were not so protected because I think that's one of the reasons why Miro ended up turning that down. It's because he doesn't lose. Yeah. Um, either push him like a main eventer and put him in main event spots or just be like, listen, you're just right now, at least you're a mid carder um, and we're going to book you like such, which means you'll lose to guys sometimes. Um, the fact we didn't have Miro on TV for most of this year is a damn shame. Uh, I, I know that some people got tired of his, uh, 
his promos against God, which um, I always kind of liked, even though they were repetitive. But I mean, I I basically enjoyed him becoming a Final Fantasy protagonist, um, which is basically what he was. I will fight God and uh, other people too. Um, that always just kind of amused me. But I think he's a fantastic talent. He's a good worker. He's a good promo. He's got charisma. He looks like an ass kicker. So hopefully he'll be back on TV at some point and being able to do all those things. Yeah. Um, it's something that we could objectively use more good wrestlers. I like that. Um, CM Punk posted WWE photos of himself on Instagram. Um, we know how Instagram, Twitter are and how people like to be, um, kind of mysterious. Um, do you, take anything from this or is cm punk just trying to mess with people i think it's just cm punk screwing around um i don't read too much into it other than uh, delete all social media and go back to web (laughs) 1.0 hey uh, did you ever watch the league fred i did not sadly though it has like so many of my favorite comedians in it uh oh i I listened to uh, how did this get made and like everyone on that show is was on the league but Jason Manzoukas so, and uh, etc. John LeJoie, um plays Taco, and he created a live social network called MyFace, where you basically have a like a fold up like um, board that you used for like presentations in elementary school, yeah. and and that was your social network. So you created your profile on this on this fold up cardboard, like a poster board. Yeah, poster board. Nice. And, that was the new social network. That's exactly what you're talking about. Like the only the only good thing Twitter has is it made me a career in sports media. So I I can never truly hate it, even though you probably should. Um, you know what's extremely funny? Just to go on a complete segue here, just for one minute, is yeah, you you do those poster boards back in elementary school, and if you went on to do that, you know, middle or high school, etc. You know, it feels like extremely low rent and uh, like you know basically just doing something cheap etc but then you go to an actual scientific conference and that's what they're using like they all have their own posters set up uh and it's just very funny to see like prestige you know these people with prestigious degrees and stuff like standing next to a trifold poster i don't know that's the kind of thing that makes me you know chuckle no it it should make you chuckle there's just there's so many little things, Fred. Just so many little things that Life's are absolutely... rich pageant. Yeah, there's just hilarious. Um, but we have one more piece of news before we really dive into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Um, and that is that Dustin Rhodes will be retiring from in-ring competition after 2023. I believe, Fred, this would put his career at about 40 years. I want to say this... he debuted in 89. I think that's it, right. I thought he debuted earlier than that. <sighs> Did he? Dang. Uh, let me double check because I know he went into WWF in 89 and that was, he debuted in championship wrestling uh, from Florida in 1988 and did a little bit of WCW and then went into WWF in late 90. So uh, yeah, this will be um, a solid 35 years, which is a hell of a run, um, especially considering all of his uh, extracurricular issues he had at times. And God bless him for getting clean. Like that's a that's a hell of an accomplishment right there, staying clean. Um, I think he's had objectively a very, very good career. Um, I think he was basically a star 
everywhere he went when he was clean and in shape and um even like well past his prime he's still a name that pops the crowd he's a good worker he's doing code reds at this point in his career um which granted like that doesn't always take the most work from the person giving the move but still he's doing it it's cool as hell i'll miss dustin Rhodes when he retires i think that he's had a very good career and um it's always kind of an underrated worker no i he is a great hand and somebody that, hey, I need a veteran to go have a really good match with a young guy. Or, hey, I've got an open TV slot and I just want a good match. He's a guy you can count on to, to at least deliver a minimum a three, three and a half star match because he's going to go in there. He's going to work hard. He has enough good offense to kind of make that splash that is so appealing in a lot of today's wrestling. Uh, like Dustin doing a Canadian Destroyer will rule forever and ever yes. because it's he's just such a large human. Like, yeah, because he's like 6'6", six, six, legitimately, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. and it's it's good. It's good yeah. to have him in wrestling, but it sounds like he's going to continue to be involved behind the scenes, which is really where a lot of his value lies, Fred. Mm-hmm. He is an incredible resource, obviously being Dusty Rhodes' son, having wrestled in multiple promotions, including WCW at the end of um, the Jim Crockett promotion days, and then I believe he also wrestled for them um, at the end. Um, I can't remember if Goldust ever ended up going doing the little flippy do, but um, and he was also in TNA. Um, Let's not talk about the TNA days. That, that was, yeah, that, that was, that's a yeah, he yeah, hates that. Dustin Rhodes himself hates talking about it. So I think that's can you blame him? Nope. <laughs> no, but uh, it's it'll be sad to see him go, and hopefully we can get a really cool retirement match out of it. But hell, um, let's make for, Rampage the Dustin Rhodes retirement tour. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. I like the sound of that. Um, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, Fred. Um, we had eight new inductees. Um, Holy Demon Army. Akira Tawe is finally in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. He and Toshiaki Kawada, um, they are widely viewed as one of the best tag teams of all time. Um, Mystico, also known as the original Sinkara or uh, Caristico. Caristico. Yeah, Caristico for a short period. I, I thought there was an L. In there, um, and the only so. reason why he was Caristico after he went back to Mexico is somebody had picked up the Mystico gimmick and he could not use it. Yeah, um, I feel like I need a visual aid to draw out like the connections between the names. Mm-hmm. Um, Kota Ibushi makes the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, as does Tetsuya Naito. So that really trims down the Japan region, which is objectively good for the future. And guys like Shingo Takagi, Tomohiro Ishii, um, Los Villanos. Rollerball, Mark Rocco, Lou Darrow, and Johnny Doyle. But probably the biggest um, names that just missed the cut, um, Rocca and Perez, the legendary tag team, Sergeant Slaughter, Slaughter and Los Hermanos, uh, D- Dynamita. I think Dynamita. I said that right. Dynamita. Um, we're all at 57%, which is the highest for Sergeant Slaughter. He has been making a real push to get in. And then CM Punk improved, I believe, from 34 to 41%. So even though he had brawl out, the AEW run still bumped him up 7%. Fred, eight inductees. This is a really big year for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. Um, And it also came when voters were way down. Uh, What do you make of all this? I don't know what to think of the decrease in voters, particularly in the modern U.S. and uh, uh, Canada category. That's something I'll have to look at a little deeper. But frankly, uh, the way Belcher does this, it's hard to know if 
he cut a bunch of people if a bunch of people just didn't vote which would be weird because even if like they're just restricted like if they just do the modern u.s and canada thing then i don't think that like the changes on the ballot would have made them not want to vote um maybe he forgot to send out some ballots i doubt it but i can't rule it out because of the mystique of dave Meltzer. Mm-hmm. um i think that uh you know a bunch of these people deserve to get in i actually voted for um well for of course ludero and johnny doyle were auto inductees by Meltzer uh because of their how old they are if you're past a certain point in time which kind of seems very indeterminate he will just induct you if he's convinced to uh, and they were promoters um, in the relatively early days of professional wrestling, and they got inducted. Uh, the other six were all voted in. Um, and I did not vote in the British category, but I uh, voted in the others, and I voted for all five inductees. Hey, that's uh, good. I, I, look, I, I don't have a Wrestling Observer ballot yet, but Dave Meltzer, if you're listening, I would love one next year. Um, we but, can work on but, that together. I I, th- I think we can too, and this is this is good because I'm really excited to see what next year brings. The young bucks, in theory, should be slam oh, dunks, but that is going to be an absolute uh, dumpster fire discussion. The absolute them. worst discourse ever in wrestling history is going to be coming next year. I can guarantee oh. that. Um, I think he also said that John Moxley and Seth Rollins will both be put back on the ballot, which will be very interesting. I think both are very interesting. Uh, candidates. I'm not going to vote for Rollins at this point in time. Um, I I think he's a great worker, but I think he just has been slotted into that second tier WWE guy spot for a while, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's a Hall of Fame case by itself. And I think that he's been kind of hamstrung in terms of having like the great matches that would help you overcome that. So, to me, I would not vote for Rollins. Uh, assuming Moxley wins Wrestler of the Year again, the Fez Flair Award, I'd be hard-pressed not to vote for him for the Hall of Fame. Uh, I think he had a very respectable indie run prior to WWE. I think especially that first year in the Shield in WWE was Hall of Fame level. Um, then I think everything he's done since 2019, which is four years at this point, uh, is Hall of Fame level. So... Uh, I think that, you know, I, I'll have to give him a good long look uh, in terms of voting for him. Um, there's also, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but there's a Joshi team uh, getting on the ballot. Uh, kind of the, from what I recall, like the pre-Crush Gals, Crush Gals uh, from like the late 70s, which sounds like a very interesting uh, candidacy. Uh, but I can't recall their name or the individual name, so I suck at this. <laughs> um, but yeah, that'll be interesting. Um I know a lot of people were upset that Argentina Rocket and Miguel Perez did not get inducted. Uh, they felt like they should have been kind of a slam dunk. Uh, I think there are just too many names on the ballot, especially in the uh, historical U.S.-Canada. I think that's what happened there. I think Sergeant Slaughter is eventually going to get in, but there's a possibility that both he and Junkyard Dog get moved back to the historical uh, candidacy, which will have a very interesting effect on their numbers, I think. Um and CM Punk, um, I saw a lot of like just bad, bad Twitter discourse about CM Punk not getting in with some people just being, ah, Dave Meltzer's mad at him because of Brawl Out and how he offended Dave Meltzer's close personal friends, the Young Bucks, uh, which obviously just shows that they don't know like how the process works or anything. Um, I think Punk, uh, 
is going to eventually get in. I think he would have done much better this year if it hadn't been for Brawl Out. I think that probably turned a lot of people off of him, but I think in the next year or two, those people will come around. Um, and I think he probably will get inducted in the relatively near future. I doubt it'll be next year, but I guess we'll see. No, uh, I he's he has an interesting case, even if you take out Brawl Out, because he obviously came back to wrestling and was an incredible ratings mover and a pay-per-view draw for the company. He had he had some really good in-ring matches, but his case before then was murky at best, and it he was never truly great at any one of the three criteria that Dave Meltzer has laid out. He was good in all of them, but you never really saw him as a massive um, draw, um, especially within the context of WWE until he got to AEW. Um, and obviously Brawl Out hurts his case with some people, which I can understand, but I actually don't think it should hurt him at all. Um, it's it's wrestling beef. It just was more public than private. It That happens. And if he's gone from the company, he's gone from the company. But like, if I would have had a vote, I would have voted for CM Punk just because I think it's his case is it's a very good one. I think so too. Um, it, you know, I wouldn't, bo- I wouldn't base my entire ballot for him off of like the observer newsletter awards, but I did a, a study of like award chairs, which is basically a percentage of the maximum possible votes year over year for guys and like compared career numbers and CM Punk, uh, heading into this set of awards is 15th all time in the Flairthez award, uh, going back to 1983, I think it is, um, he is pretty highly ranked in the most outstanding in-ring one. Let me find his exact number. 45th all-time. Um, on interviews, he is 5th all-time. Um, 13th and most charismatic. Uh, back when they voted for Best Box Office, which is uh, no longer a thing, he voted. He was voted uh, 105th all-time, which uh, is pretty solid in terms of match of the year, uh, being a part of matches nominated for that. Uh, he's 30th all time. I mean, I just think that it's pretty clear that he is a very good candidate for this and should be in. In fact, if you go to the best announcer one, he even got enough votes from his short time as an announcer in WWE that he is 43rd all time in that, uh, which really speaks more to lack of candidates than anything else. But I, you know, I think he's just a great all around candidate. Uh, it really does. If you look closer, I think he actually excels in being a draw and work in, in ring work. Um, so that's my yeah. take. Yeah. It, it'll be an interesting, um, cycle come next, uh, October, and November, but we need to get going on, uh, some of the wrestling here. We have spent a good hour on hey, it's an hour already. Good Lord. Hey, you know what? It's been good discussion. So that time, in a sense, does not matter. Um, Fred, let's talk about Final Battle. Um, what were your overall thoughts of the show? I I had a lot of fun. I thought it was a very fun show. Um, I think that Briscoe's FTR really kind of pushed it to an extra level. Uh, we'll get into that match specifically in a little bit because I don't know that there was a really another great top level match on that card but i think there was a bunch of very good matches and uh i thought it was a lot of fun um yeah my next uh highest rated matches were three that i put at four stars um 
So, but yeah, how do you want to approach this? Do you want to talk about everything on the show? Do you want to go match by match? It's all, I, you're, you're the point guard, baby. I think we should just, uh, we've, we've already gone over an hour. I think we just need to talk about kind of the big points. And one thing I want to start off with, Fred, which is a very interesting topic in itself, is uh, the match with Sword in Our Glory and Shane Taylor Promotions. Um, very good performance from Shane Taylor. And I I cannot remember his name, so I'm going to pull it up. J.D. Like Griffey? Yeah, um, J.D. Griffey. Um, look, good match. You can see that there's something there with Griffey. But the whole match was built upon the fact that, hey, there's still tension with Swerve and Keith Lee. And that if then Swerve ends up leaving Keith Lee, but instead of losing, Keith Lee wins, which I thought this was awesome. I thought that this was a really smart way to continue the drama with these, these two. And in by doing so, now Strickland has something to even more to be mad about because he's going to realize Keith Lee doesn't need him because Lee won on his own. Um, yeah, I'm hoping. This was good. I thought I liked this match. I went four stars on it. It was one of those three four star matches I mentioned. Um, I uh, Griffey was like the fourth best guy in the ring, but I thought he was decent enough that he didn't look completely out of place, but he was clearly like lagging behind the other guys too. So, you know, that kind of situation. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that the Swerve in Our Glory thing needs to kind of blow up uh, and actually reach the turn in the next month or so. Um, I think the pacing has kind of reached the point where like, we're ready for the actual, uh, blow off or the start of the, the turn in the feud. So hopefully we'll see that soon. Um, Shane Taylor looked great. I thought, um, him and Keith Lee in the ring together was awesome. And, uh, I look forward to watching more Shane Taylor in the new ring of honor. Uh, he was always fun in the old one too. Uh, if you're looking for Shane Taylor stuff, just look him up. He's always been a, a very entertaining guy. Um, but yeah, I like this quite a bit. Yeah, just overall a good, good match. Um, I gave it four stars. That's, I thought the work was really nice. And you could tell there's something there with Griffey in that MMA gimmick, but he, I think this is a guy that you're going to want to, he could be the jungle boy of Ring of Honor, where Tony Khan sees that there is something massive with this guy, but they need time to grow and cultivate it. And I'm very yeah. fascinated to see what it was. Um, I will say one hilarious thing he did was when he uh, leaped to the outside and Keith Lee caught him in a power bomb position and Griffey starts yelling at him, don't you do it. I'll tell your mama. And like, I don't know. It felt, it was kind of weird out of place in a match, but also it made me laugh. So there you go. Yeah. Um, and it worked. Keith Lee put him down. Yeah. Um, let's jump backwards. Now I thought this pre-show very was good. Tremendous. It was one of the better pre-shows I've ever seen uh, for a pay-per-view. Um, I, I thought everything was good. Nobody looked out of place. And you had some very good matches. I thought the top flight and the kingdom was excellent. Borderline notebook match. Um, and even like, um, 2.0 against the Shinobi Sat Shadow Squad, which is essentially a, a squash. It was entertaining because you had um, Menard and Parker just being just dicks, and they're so good at it. 
Like, yeah, they're it, very good at uh, being characters. I thought that and, was the weakest match on the show by far, but it was mm-hmm. still like average. The finish of um, the Top Flight and Kingdom match was a, it was like a combination powerbomb springboard, like sliced bread that when Dante Martin gets so much air, it was one of the best finishes I've seen in a long time. And there's only, you just have to go and watch it because there's only so much that words can say to uh, properly describe it. And I really hope that they can figure things out long-term with Dante Martin. The kid's 20 years old and he's already doing just ridiculously flippy do stuff. It's, I love it. Yeah, he's a super unique talent, and I can't wait to see what his career is like over the next decade or two. Um, yeah, I like this a lot. Uh, I thought this is exactly how you want to do a pre-show. I thought that uh, this is how you make someone want to reach over and hit the buy button. Um, I, you know, because you had all those. You also had uh, Willow Nightingale, who I think is just a walking superstar. Uh, she looked great in this match with Trisha Dora. Um, I, you know, she hit one of the best pounces I've ever seen. And, you know, she just has, I've, I've seen, heard this comparison multiple times, but I'm going to repeat it because it's correct. He, she 100% has that angsty Bailey, like super baby face uh, feeling to her. And uh, I mean, her theme music is amazing too. I, I think she can be a superstar. Uh, and I really hope that uh, she's able to fulfill that. 100%. Now, Fred. I think it's time we talk about it. The dog collar match. Fantastic. Oh, listen. I I think I might overrate some matches. And this is my ninth five-star match of the year. But it, when I feel like that connection to wrestling that's truly great, I end up giving it five stars. And I have felt that way about nine matches this year. And this was an easy one. The violence was perfect. The way they integrated everything was very well done. The spots, the J driller on the chairs, the Dax trying like hell to wrap his head with the chain, but the blood kept um, preventing it from staying. So he's like, yeah, screw it. So he just lifts the chain above his head and then delivers the headbutt. Um, how Mark Briscoe was yanked from the apron onto the chairs on the ground, the finish, just everything about this match was tremendous. And, my two match of the year's contenders right now, Fred, are dog collar matches. Like, this this was excellent, and you know they're not going to go back to this for a while, but they made me want more. Yeah. And it's eventually going to happen, and I'm excited to see what they do with it. This is one of the best matches I've ever seen. Uh, I don't say that lightly. I, I I have adopted Dave Meltzer's scale breaking shtick, so I know people get freaked out about oh you can't go past five stars, whatever. Okay, um, I do. Here's the thing, though, your old school five star matches. This is better than that. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to say it's the exact same by just giving it five stars? That's like, that's I'm why fine. I do it. it. It's a quick way for me to remind myself like this was an all time great match, but like it went beyond just being that. Mm-hmm. Um, so within that realm it is my top rated match on the year i gave it a full six stars um i thought this was just absolutely perfect um these guys absolutely killed themselves mike posey blading was 
perfect. It was this was chaos. This was violence. It was it's just so uniquely pro wrestling. Um, and I think it just was perfect for what it was trying to do. I thought they all knocked it out of the park. I thought they all looked great. Um, this was just an all time match. I will. I, I think you have to put up the FTR Briscoes trilogy with any other trilogy in the history of pro wrestling. Steamboat Flair, Okada, Omega, anything else. Like you could point at whatever you want. It doesn't matter. This is up there. Um, this is my match of the year. I, I can't imagine. I'm trying to get caught up on some stuff that feels like the eternal thing I'm doing. Uh, but I have watched over 1,200 matches this year and almost three, 1,300, damn. Um, and nothing really compares to this. You can bring up Okada uh, Osprey from uh, Second Day at Tokyo Dome. You can bring up Seamus Gunter, which I love. You can bring up the other FTR Briscoe's matches. I think this well surpasses all of them. Yeah, this remember, was... like, I think it was last week where I was like, I don't think Dax Harwood has a, a wrestler of the year case. I think it's fallen apart in the second half of the year. Never mind. I take it back. He's, you got to look at him as a candidate now. <laughs> as I a don't look at most it. Outstanding. I, here's the thing. I don't look at, it, at him as a candidate because he, in order to go to this level, he still needs Cash Wheeler. And I cannot give him serious consideration for it because he can't have, he's never had, in my opinion, a great match in the calendar year of 2022 without Cash Wheeler in the ring next to him. And I think that's going to be that limitation for me. And it's it's not a knock on him per se. It's just that's just kind of the reality of which we're working with within the discussion of this award. Like I the way I I'll, have these go ahead. Oh I, I will I will counter with three that I think break that mark uh that I thought were fantastic matches. Uh his June match with Will Ospreay, I thought was fantastic. I thought I his gave match... it four and a half, so I I will retract. He has one. Uh, Brian Danielson in November on Dynamite, just a couple weeks ago. I went four I and a half it... on that. I gave it four stars. I was I'll be honest, I was very unimpressed. That's fair. I'm a Brian Danielson mark, so like anytime he's in the ring, I'm likely to overrate it, but that's fine. Uh, Adam Cole from May in Dynamite. I think I gave that four and a quarter. Look, I gave that four all... and a quarter. They're all notebook matches. They're all very good. But the like I thought there were no great ones. I forgot about Osprey. That one was great. But I could have a four-star match with Will Osprey. Like that's I just, just kind of how great Osprey is. Yeah, but I think also when you consider like I think Dax has done enough single stuff to elevate him slightly beyond cash. Uh, and to the point where I think you have to look at them because on top of all that, like they've been working all over the place with the tag stuff. And uh, I think that they've had a fantastic year. They're going to be my tag team of the year. Um, even before this match, they were going to be my tag team of the year. I was giving a little thought to maybe I should look at the elite or just the young bucks alone as uh, maybe candidates for that. But I don't, you know, they, they've had FDR Briscoe's every match. I think was five stars for me. So five, star, five plus. So, yeah, it's uh, how did you have these matches ranked as far as like the first, the second, and the third FTR? Um, uh, which uh, Briscoe's match, uh, three one two. See, I, I had a three two one, and I'm honestly surprised more people don't like the the two out of three falls match, like because I thought that match was better than the first, and I thought it rivaled this one. It like 
I, I'm it's weird that I'm on this island that I thought the second one was almost as good as as the dog collar. I mean, I'm probably on an island where I would argue that uh, Brian Danielson and Adam Page from January should be considered for like top three or five match of the year. So uh, I get it. Trust me. Uh, everyone's got their uh, one or two. Uh, but I, you know, I, I just think that they worked, you know, that this one was amazing. Uh, I thought the best two, you know, best of three falls was fantastic too. Like I gave it five and a quarter stars, but I gave the first one five and a half. And I think there's just a, that's how the delineation works for me. Yeah. It's, it's, if you have, I don't think there's anything. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with any order really. Although I would probably look at you a little bit if you didn't say this last one was the best, but yeah, the last one is the best and I'm not going to, I'm not going to veer from that. Um, Look, this whole card was really, really good. Um, I do want to ask you about uh, Claudio Castagnoli winning the um, ROH World Championship from Chris Jericho. Uh, And then you had two Blackpool Combat Club wins. So basically, they essentially won the feud against the Jericho Appreciation Society. What did you think of... Claudia winning the belt. Um, and he also uh won it on a giant swing tap out, which I thought was incredibly perfect from Chris Jericho, just being like the shitbag heels, like, oh, I'm not gonna tap out because I'm I'm in pain. I'm gonna tap out because I'm I'm like doozy. Like yeah. I thought that was a great finish, but Claudia winning, I thought that was a very interesting outcome because I thought you still had more with this Chris Jericho story arc. Yeah, I didn't think that Claudia was going to win, uh, but I I can't help but interpret this as you know that no, Tony Khan knowing that he's going to announce that they are going on Honor Club and not on TV, and as such, he's taking Chris Jericho back to AEW. Uh, I think that's one hundred percent what the booking of this match indicated, and I think that's what we got. Um, I thought this was a fine match. I thought it looked, was just about Chris Jericho's worst of the year as far as his big matches, uh, which isn't really a big knock on him. Like, it was a three-and-a-half-star match, but he just didn't look as good as he has been at other points in time. Now, consider his age and everything and the pace he's been going at. I, I get it. You know, this isn't really a criticism of a, of him, just a note. Um, but I thought it was a fine finish and a fine blow-off to the feud. I thought the feud went way too long. Uh, that ideally they would have finished this up back after, you know, uh, blood and guts, but stuff happened. Um, we had CM Punk's deal. We had, uh, Tony Khan trying to get ring of honor, you know, TV of some sort. And, uh, it was obvious that he was using Chris Jericho as a tool in that and it didn't work, but yeah, that's, uh, kind of my takeaways from that match. Yeah. I'm very interested to see how it all comes out. Because I don't, I want to see what ideas Tony Khan has for Claudio Castagnoli as Ring of Honor champion. His first run was, eh. yeah. Claudio I, won the belt um, from Jonathan Gresham to basically get it off of a non-contracted AEW wrestler, which is kind of what that show was. Which yeah. is fine. It ended up being a very good pro wrestling show. Yeah. But now you have to figure out how is this going to work long term. Yeah. I don't know what that answer is. I don't either. And I'm, I'm excited to find out. I'm a little down on Claudio as like a top, top guy. I feel like his, uh, his promo skills have not been going well this year. Um, 
and I feel like he hasn't really been a you know intriguing guy as a top uh, babyface, you know, right now at AEW. Um, I do have two complaints about the show uh, coming out of it, which feels very silly. One, I don't know what the idea was with like this is how we're going to debut Juice Robinson, but doing it with like a a two minutes tops pre tape promo on a rampage and then having him wrestle in the death spot against Samoa Joe and jobbing just felt so weird um, that I is kind of like a Lucha underground uh, debut where early on they would have guys beat up 18 people in a uh, pre-tape uh, video and then go out and job to someone <laughs> cleanly. It just, it fell out of place. I didn't get it. Uh, I'm, I think Juice Robinson can be a difference baker wherever he's slotted in AEW slash Ring of Honor, but, like, this is not a great way to start it, I thought. And secondly, I thought that the match order was all screwed up. Uh, the only, the reason, when I was watching the show, I assumed that they had Briscoe's uh, FTR on where they did so that they could, uh, uh, they would then announce the TV channel immediately after that they are going to be on and uh, avoid spoiling the results of Briscoe's FDR because if they announced that it would be a Turner Network, they would all, but I, I felt like it would guarantee an FDR win because of the reporting that Turner does not want the Briscoes on their channels or Warner Brothers, I guess I should say. Um, but instead, we didn't get any of that. So I realize Chris Jericho is the biggest star on the card, but it was obvious heading in that there was no way his match with Claudio was going to compare with FTR Briscoe's FTR Briscoe's was the hottest thing in ring of honor all year, even with the Briscoe's not really being around outside of the matches. I don't know. It just felt really weird and like a bad idea to me. I think I know why Chris Jericho ended up main eventing. It's Chris fucking Jericho. Oh, sure, yeah, I get it. That's, but that, like... that's really the only reason. It, but everything you said has a, a ton of merit. Yeah. The idea is that that hottest feud should go on last. And they already put these guys on last at the last pay-per-view. This is arguably a bigger match. Mm -hmm. But So I understand it, but I think we can all hypothesize that the whole reason why. Yeah, and that makes – I, I get it, but I don't think it worked out at all. You know what? I really cannot argue with that point, Fred. I can't. Um, That's all. It's um, the Juice Robinson thing. I want to challenge um, okay. your take on it. Juice Robinson was a Ring of Honor wrestler. The fan base knows Juice Robinson. The fan base also knows Juice Robinson from New Japan, which this fan base understands New Japan. They also understand AEW. So my question is, why are we viewing it as a as a like a debut per se when they already know juice that like, they don't need more than a couple minute uh, pre-tape to just kind of have like a mini reintroduction. He's a rock hard now. That's about the only major difference. Like I, I, I guess I'm missing the fact where it's, it's a big deal. I, I really don't see it as one at all. It's less of a, hey, we got to teach these people who he is and more of a, hey, we should bring him in with momentum kind of feeling. And I think that he doesn't have good momentum right now. And I, you know, obviously you can correct that in the future on Honor Club, but these are probably going to be his two highest profile appearances outside unless he gets brought in for something in AEW. And as such, I think maybe, 
you know, it, it feels weird to me. That's my my dumb take. Okay, that I can see that. Um, but let's uh, let's get to um, some AEW as we're an hour and twenty minutes into the show. Um, we talked about a lot of the William Regal stuff. Um, we talked about Moxley and Takeshita being tremendous. This is something that you put in the show notes that I think we need to touch on, and it, it ties into everything we've been talking about with Ring of Honor. FTR's chase of AEW titles as their fourth set of belts felt underpromoted. I find that fascinating. And I also find it interesting that they never went all the way with getting FTR those belts. Now, obviously, you came into a super hot act with the acclaimed. I understand you don't want to take the belts off. You don't want to strip them of their momentum. Where FTR right. doesn't need those belts in order to um, for any kind of true legacy or whatnot. But I do find it interesting that they didn't they did not strap them up in the short window that they had to get them all four belts at the same time. What do you think of that? It feels weird, doesn't it? Because it felt like if you had told me in January of this year that or whatever it was that they had all three belts, I forget exactly like when that had all been picked up, but I thought it was relatively early in the year. Uh, but that they had all three belts, but they would not they would end the year without winning the AEW belts at all. Uh, I don't know. I would have believed you because it felt like such a, you know, such an easy story to tell that this felt like it should have been like a major story. Now, I'm not saying they didn't promote it at all. It's not like they just were like, oh, and by the way, we're doing the match tonight in half an hour. Like they gave it some build, but it felt underbuilt to me. Like I felt like this could have been a big main event level story that they did for several weeks. Um, and really pushed hard that the that FTR was coming for those belts. And even if you still have the acclaimed win that match, which I think is a perfectly reasonable result, I think that you know at least you would have got more value out of that match and out of that booking decision. And I think it would have helped the acclaimed out a little, just a little more. Um, but that's my take. I mean, you know, it, it felt colder than I would have expected it. Uh, again, I think. It, the match itself ended up working really well, especially with such a good crowd last week. Um, but I just would have expected it to be pushed as a bigger deal. And you know what? I agree with you. It felt like there was a real missed opportunity to make these guys into even bigger stars. And now they're about yes. to go into the Tokyo Dome and presumably lose to Aussie Open, who eight, uh, New Japan has been building up as his mega tag team. And I believe they are set to win world tag league here coming up. I don't believe they have a loss yet. I could be wrong. I don't I, think so. I haven't been, I haven't been following the tour, but last I heard they were undefeated and it would not shock me if they end up winning the whole thing and not losing a match and then going on and winning the belts from FTR and their match at Royal, Royal quest was uh, tremendous. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were throwing five stars at it. So, if they're given any kind of ample time in the Tokyo Dome, they could deliver that same type of performance again. And I'm very excited to see how that um, will evolve. Quick uh, quick correction, Naito and Sonata and uh, Hayes Nichols both beat uh, uh, Aussie Open. So I think that there they are setting up a final between them and uh, Bushimon, uh, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. So. Hell yeah. I I love me some Hiroki Goto. I don't I don't care if he's old. He kicks ass. He um, does kick ass. Yeah, 
like I would love for Hiroki Goto to just come to the States, work every dynamite for six months and just have banger matches every yep. night against anybody. Just be the new Takeshita because Takeshita, he is now a roster member. They're going to try and actually build him up and they could make him a mega star. He could be, but they need to start like giving him stuff that matters. They're teasing it with Don Callis. That'll be it. Whatever they have planned with that could be very interesting. But yeah, we need and, to get this rolling. And you know what? As he adjusts to life in America, giving him a mouthpiece, I think could honestly be the best thing for him. Don Callis is a tremendous mouthpiece. Yes, it feels like yes. Callis is not a baby face. It feels like the split with the elite is coming. And I don't know what the history with Takeshita and Kenny Omega is as far as matches. I assume that they've had a couple back in DDT before Kenny went over to new Japan. Cause while Takeshita's is only 26, he's been wrestling for a long time. Yes, it's not is. like, it's not like you're getting a guy who's a spring chicken. So I'm very intrigued to see how that dynamic evolves. And I wonder if the, the ultimate long-term goal with the, them teasing the callous stuff is to Kesha to go over on Kenny Omega and really establish him as that next star. Uh, Takeshita and uh, Tetsuya Endo had several matches opposite Kenny Omega and either Daisuke Sasaki or Kota Ibushi. So back, but that was way back in 2014. So mm-hmm. there you go. Um, I think we're going to see Babyface Takeshita uh, managed by heel Don Callis. I think that's what the gimmick's going to be for a while. And then Takeshita will turn and Callis and whatever other heels he has will feud with him, which will be fun. I think it will be fun. Um, otherwise, there isn't a whole lot from Dynamite that I think we need to touch up we, on. There, there's one thing we do need to touch on. Uh, okay. It would be podcasting malpractice if we did not, which is the Ricky Starks MJF promo segment. You know what? This show from Ring of Honor was so good. I'm going to be honest. I forgot. I forgot there. about how incredible that promo was. I'm gonna. I'm pulling it up right now because one, what a what a birthday present. Like that, I got to watch that show live on my birthday, and that Ricky Starks promo, Ooh, buddy. The whole time, Ricky Starks. Uh just killed it it was so amazing uh and and i'm going to be hyperbolic here fred that was the best promo of all time i'm not going to argue with you but i've ever seen from it's it's on the short list for me i can't just go say it was the best ever but damn it was really high up there uh and i thought ricky starks i mean he didn't just hold his own with mjf he out promoted him uh in a Mm face-to-face segment um and I think I, I've been saying for a while, Ricky Starks is going to be a superstar. They just need to strap the rocket to him. I hope this is the start of that. Uh, I would not have him win this Wednesday. It's too soon in MJF's reign, and it could possibly damage him some. But damn, Ricky Starks is good. Yeah. So I'll say this. As much as I thought it was the best of all time, I, I also need to preface it that I don't think he, he it gets to that point Unless he has MJF with him. In that no, segment. that's real. That really helped it out. But I mean, starts mm-hmm. once he got the mic. Once he did his deal, he killed. He he was perfect. Like the dollar store rock, and then the Roddy Piper line, and just so much resonated. And like I think you mentioned it just a few minutes ago. Like I think if they strapped up Ricky Starks on Wednesday, 
it's not a mistake. I don't think it's a mistake. I wouldn't do it because I mean, MJF, I think is, is more valuable in the short term. And, you know, you could argue long term. I'm not going to guarantee that though, because Starks is that good. Um, But I think that uh, Starks uh, winning in a year or even six months after having, you know, beating someone else in a feud and then going after whoever the champion is at that point. I, I would, that would not blink at that whatsoever. Yeah, Starks is a is an absolute slam dunk future champion. He's just incredible. Um, yes, I'm gonna go back and watch that promo just because I want to enjoy it. Like some of the lines are are just, just um, uh, amazing. Like he started off well, Max. I should have expected a fifth rate Roddy Piper wannabe wanted to come out here every single week. You come out here and and smell and you think you're better than me. Give me a break. Everything about you screams cheap. The cheap suit, the cheap shoes, the cheap heat. Like, all He's time great. stuff. He's fantastic. I, I can I, I could watch that every day until I die and just love it every day. Um, there is one more thing from Dynamite that we have to mention before we go. Uh, the absolute snuff film that was Smoa Joe Darby Allen. Um. Wow. That was a fantastic match, way better than I thought it would be. And I had, I thought it would be a very good match, but like Darby Allen bumped, like I, I haven't, I don't even know if I've ever seen Darby Allen bump like that. Um, but that was like an all time bumping performance. He fed Samoa Joe so much, uh, made Samoa Joe just look like the biggest killer ever in the history of man. And it was great. Uh, I just had to get that out, made sure we talked about that too, because perfect, just perfect. Yeah, I, I need to actually go back and rewatch it because at that time I just pulled off a prime rib from the smoker and I was making sure I had all that ready. So that's something I need to go back and do please because... rewatch that match. I it's yes. not it's not gonna end up on like a match of the year list for me at least, but I could see someone doing that, putting it on there. Uh it was a fantastic performance by Darby. I love Darby, so He's I will great. do that. Um what is next for AEW? Winner is coming is this upcoming Wednesday. MJF versus Ricky Sarks. Winner takes all because MJF won the first three Dynamite Diamonds. He did not have to enter the Battle Royal, so he took on the winner, and Ricky Starks is cashing in that along with his title opportunity that he earned just a couple weeks ago on Dynamite. You have Game 4, Death Triangle versus the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Game 5, I think? No. Oh, Game 4? Okay. All right, my bad, my bad. Because remember, I, I ranted last week about how they did not give me a match on my birthday and how I'm more important than everybody. So um, House of Black will also have a match, which um, that will probably kick so much ass. And It'll be a fun Ruby, squash, I'm sure. Ruby Soho versus Tay Mello. Like, let's get Ruby Soho doing something else. Um, I think she could also be a potential partner for Soraya because be. of that, that WWE lineage. Like, it's not a one-to-one, yeah. but like Sasha Banks would make way more sense considering how much crossover there was, but that could be it. And just wrap that up and get Ruby doing something. Cause she's a, she's a nice value to the women's division. Um, that's our show, Fred. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I do want to quickly plug uh, on AW dark last week. There is a very good main event between Anthony Henry, Henry and Trent Beretta which I went like three and three quarters on. I thought it was just a very entertaining match. Beretta worked way harder than he probably had to, to be honest. But I like Anthony Henry a lot. He's a very underrated worker. Uh, Definitely worth checking that out. 
Uh, but yeah, that's all I got this week. I um, it was a great week in wrestling, especially AW. Uh, just a lot of fun all around. Hey, just this. This is more of a Tony Khan show, I guess, at this point than is a true AEW show because we're talking so much Ring of Honor. But he's been doing such a tremendous job putting out entertaining wrestling that I think um, I think this could really be a banner like next year because there's so much that could potentially happen, and I, I'm very excited to continue to see. Uh, how everything can will evolve. And as good as this year was, I thought it was overall a very good year for AEW. Not as good as 2021, but consider how snake bit they were. I mean, I thought they exceeded expectations. And I thought that what we did get from Ring of Honor was always entertaining. So I'm, I think he's had a very good year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's Let's do the final stuff. You can... Follow us at Good Bad Hungy on Twitter. You can follow me at The Real Forno, especially if you love football content. I have plenty of that coming. You can follow Fred at Flagrant Wrestling. Um, you can ask us questions on the Voice of Wrestling Discord server. Well, we will make sure we answer them and you can uh, talk to us about the product. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show on whatever plat- uh, podcasting platform you are using to help us grow and get our show out there to everyone. And listen, enjoy the product. This is a fun time to be a wrestling fan. And we've been saying it for years, considering AEW has been around for a few. But this is a peak time in professional wrestling. And enjoy it while it's here. Yeah, wrestling is great, but it's really great right now. Uh, To pay homage to the wonderful job by Caprice Coleman and Ian Riccoboni on uh, the pay-per-view. Happy wrestling, everyone. Happy wrestling. Hi, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am the co-host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Every week, my co-host Fred Moreland and I discuss all the happenings of all elite wrestling and everything going on in the universe of Tony Khan. We talk about Dynamite, we talk about Rampage, and we will talk about Collision when the time comes as well, along with all the appearances outside of AEW from all the best talents in all elite wrestling. This is one of the more cohesive wrestling companies in the entire world, and we discuss every intricacy about it, including the unique booking of Tony Khan that is both a huge positive and a major detriment. Check us out every single Thursday here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.